Hello and welcome to Season 6, Episode 19 of the Everyday Christian Podcast, which means there's only three more episodes of the current season, and then we will be uh, taking a little time off and looking forward to next season. Uh, This is the fourth season with the Scattered Abroad Network of Podcasts. Make sure you go and check out all the podcasts that we have at scatteredabroad.org. I've been teasing a uh, reveal for an upcoming project in the uh, show notes, if you have paid attention to the show notes at the bottom of the podcast. Uh, I've been mentioning that we're going to have a brand new podcast coming out next year. And now that we're in December, uh, I'll go ahead and tell you about it as it will, Lord willing, be uh, appearing for the first time in January. It is going to be the Father Time podcast. This is going to be a monthly podcast where uh, myself and a couple other hosts, uh, Scott Kane and Matt McBrayer, we are going to be talking about fatherhood. We're going to be talking about spiritual leadership of families. We're going to talk about family worship, such as a family Bible time and things of this nature. Uh, we're going to bring up various topics from time to time that deal with uh, cultural topics that we may need to navigate with our families and etc. But anyways, I'm really, really looking forward to this podcast. It's going to come out next month again. This is a monthly podcast called Father Time, and Lord willing, uh, Scott Kane and Matt McBrayer and myself will be debuting that in just a few weeks. So I hope that you will tune in to that special podcast next month. We are getting ready to wrap up our study of Second Peter. We're going to look at the second half of Second Peter chapter 2 in this week's episode, and then the next two weeks, we will finish up looking at Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 2, we want to look at verses 15 through 22 this week. And we'll start in verses 15 and 16, and we'll find an Old Testament example of a false teacher, which we talked about in detail last week, uh, by the name of Balaam. I'm going to go ahead and read verses 15 and 16. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. Well, Balaam is definitely one of the probably most interesting characters in the Old Testament. Uh, If you read about him, there's a lot written about him throughout the Bible, really. Uh, here in Second Peter, as well as Revelation 2, verse 14, Jude, verse 11, Micah, verse six, or, uh, chapter 6, verse 5, Nehemiah 13, verse 2, Joshua 24, verses 9 through 10, Joshua 13, 22, Deuteronomy 23, 45, and also Numbers, chapters 22, 23, 24, and 31. So there is a lot that is written about Balaam. Again, he is very, very interesting. Uh, one of the most funny moments in the uh, Bible is when the dumb donkey spoke to Balaam. Uh, by the way, I've thought about, kind of toyed with the idea of, of one day having an episode or two on the funniest moments in the Bible. Uh, maybe you can let me know what you think about that. Uh, maybe email us at the scatteredabroadnetwork.org and Let me know what you think about that, but uh, this would definitely be on my list of the funniest moments in the Bible, but kind of a synopsis of what Balaam is known for. 
So there was a king by the name of Balak. Uh, if I remember right, I think he was a Moabite king. I could be mistaken about that. But King Balak was worried about the Israelites. He wanted the prophet Balaam to curse the Israelites so that he could maintain his power. Well, long story short, Balaam tells the king Balak that he cannot bring a curse on God's people. And when you first read the first chapter or so, you think, okay, well, this is kind of admirable. Balaam acknowledges, well, I can't curse God's people, but you got to keep reading because we find out that Balaam was fully willing to do that. He just couldn't figure out a way to do it, but eventually he does figure out a way to do it. So eventually Balaam convinces Balak to entice the Israelites to commit fornication. And so upon doing this, they would bring curses themselves from God. So they would bring curses upon themselves. Well, within this story, one of the funniest parts of the Bible is when the dumb donkey spoke with a man's voice rebuking the prophet Balaam for his iniquity. Let's turn and read Numbers 22, verses 26 through 33. Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you, that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have abused me, I wish there were a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. So the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden, ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, No. And then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to stand against you, because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely I would have also killed you by now and let her live. Anyways, that is an absolutely hilarious story. Uh, I, I think this is proof that God has a sense of humor, the way that he went about things in this particular uh, account with Balaam. But uh, anyways, this really happened. Uh, this is the ins inspired scriptures, and, and if we believe in the inspiration of the scriptures, if we believe that God can perform miracles, well, certainly God can open the mouth of a donkey if he so wishes. And so this is a hilarious story, but the point that Peter brings up is that Balaam was actually not a good prophet at all. He loved the wages of unrighteousness. So in other words, he stood to make a lot of profit from King Balak if he could somehow get the Israelites to uh, bring this curse upon themselves so that Balak would feel, be would, would feel better and safer uh, against the Israelites and so that Balaam could get the money that uh, he was being bribed with. So Balaam was not a good man at all. So that is the story of Balaam, verses 15 and 16. Now let's look at verses 17 through 19, 
we want to notice continued characteristics of false teachers. Peter writes, These are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. So they are wells without water, carried by a tempest, uh, clouds carried by a tempest. In other words, just like a well that is dried up uh, because there's a drought or what have you and there's no water, just like a cloud that looks promising, like it's going to bring rain. Uh, maybe you have seen a gray cloud before that looked like rain was going to come and maybe you really, really needed it. Uh, at the time of this recording here in Oklahoma, we are in a major drought and we desperately need rain. And we've been praying for it. And God has sent us some, uh, but we, we keep praying for more. But uh, sometimes you look up and you see some clouds and you, you think, surely maybe there's a little rain in there. But then the wind carries those clouds away uh, without raining where you're at. And maybe it eventually will be rain somewhere else. But uh, that's how these false prophets are. They're, they're empty in their promises. They're, they're worthless. And certainly this happens, doesn't it? Uh, it? It has happened throughout history, and it continues to happen today uh, that false prophets have empty promises that they are feeding people, and people are being misled, and people are being led to spiritual death through listening to false teachers. And so... Uh, certainly a very, very serious matter. Verse 18, uh, again, he talks about the, the speaking of great swelling words of emptiness. Uh, think, you know, maybe fancy speech, eloquent speech that uh, really amounts to emptiness. Have you ever heard a preacher who, you know, he tells great stories and, oh, he, he can really captivate an audience. But when you actually examine what he's preaching, he barely mentions God's word at all, and there's really not much to it. It was just an exciting story to, you know, ramp up a crowd. Well, that is not um, faithful preaching, and uh, there's no substance to it. It's nothing but fluff. This is kind of the idea when Peter says that they speak this great swelling words of emptiness. And also, he says that they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. Notice it is possible to live in error. There are some who teach that uh, as long as you change your mind, you, you can't really live in a state of sin. Well, no, that's not the case at all. Uh, you have to change your mind, but your, your change of mind has to also include a change of actions. Second Corinthians chapter 7. Godly sorrow produces repentance not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Well, the sorrow of the world is, well, yeah, I'm sad, and I, I changed my mind, I shouldn't have done that, but then you don't actually repent. Godly sorrow is, I'm sorry I did that, and now I'm going to repent. I'm going to stop doing that. I'm not going to do that anymore. Well, these folks are being taught to live in error, to live in sin, and uh, a couple of examples that they have been allured to Peter says, would include lust and lewdness. Uh, again, if you remember back in 
uh, verse 1, Peter talked about damnable or destructive heresies. Again, these false teachers are bringing upon their audience, those who accept their teachings, they're bringing destruction. Uh, again, we, we mentioned that word over and over again, destruction. They're bringing destruction. They are bringing spiritual condemnation to hell to those who accept their false doctrine. So this, again, is so, so serious. Uh, everyday Christians, we need to be on the lookout for this. Verse number 19, Peter writes, While they promised them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. These false teachers promise liberty, freedom, they may even misuse the idea of grace. And they promise these things to those who do not have access to God's freedom and liberty and grace because they haven't come to God on his terms to receive freedom and liberty and grace. The scriptures teach what they teach. And there are many plain teachings in scripture that are not popular but we have to continue to accept them and proclaim them. It is not popular, at least uh, among those who are in the denominational world, to accept that baptism is necessary for salvation. It is not popular that Matthew 19 verse 9 teaches that someone can be in an unscriptural marriage because they have divorced for the wrong reason and then remarried, uh, reasons other than fornication. It's not popular with the world that uh, someone has to repent of homosexuality. Uh, it's not popular with the world. Uh, all these different things we could list, um, you know, the, the role of, of women in the church, those sorts of things that are clearly taught in Scripture are not popular with the world. It's not popular with the world that denominationalism is not okay. Uh, there are many who would rather just agree to disagree, and, and well, the Baptists are fine, and the Methodists are fine, and Catholics are fine, and, and the, the uh, Presbyterians are fine, etc. No, that is not fine. Uh, the Bible teaches very plainly that denominations, the very system, the very idea of divisions, they are condemned, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10, and uh, other passages. So false teachers teach that many things are okay, that are absolutely not okay. I think of the idea here about liberty and freedom and, and grace and, oh, well, well, since you have grace, well, you can do whatever you want. You can, you can practice lewdness. You can practice lust. You can have eyes full of adultery. You, you can do all these things. That is essentially what was being taught. And the error that Peter is dealing with here, and I think of how Paul, um, confronts that in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and following. He says, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, or certainly not. How shall we who were dead to sin live in it any longer? And then he goes into baptism and how that is the point where we give up sin. That is the point where our sins are washed away, and then we dedicate our lives to Christ and, and being servants of righteousness instead of servants to sin. But the false teachers, again, verse 19, they are promising liberty while they themselves are slaves of corruption. Verses 20 through 22, finally, we want to notice the state of false teachers as well as 
the state of those who turn their back uh, from the truth of the doctrine of Christ. This is one of the clearest passages in all of Scripture, in my mind, that clearly shows the idea of once saved, always being saved, always saved, being completely false. Uh, it is as false as false can be. I don't see how anybody can read these next three verses without understanding that your salvation can be lost. Verse number 20, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the, and here's this word again, knowledge, we've emphasized this in this epistle, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. Peter says, look, if you became a Christian, but then you go back into your life of sin, you're worse off than, than when you began. You're worse off than when you were an alien sinner because you accepted Christ and what he did for you. You became a Christian, and then you went back. You turned back. Uh, Jesus said that uh, no man that is uh, taking his hand to the plow and looks back is worthy of, of the kingdom of God, is, is fit for the kingdom of God. And I'm reminded of uh, Hebrews 12, verse 1, we are to lay aside every weight and sin which so easily besets us, and we are to look towards Christ. So we can't turn back. Now, people do. We have free will, and, and many people do turn back, but we should not turn back. Uh, away from Christ. Look at verse 21. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. Verse 22, but it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog, and this is very graphic, uh, but it's in here for a reason. It wants to show us, Peter wants to show us how horrific it is for somebody who accepts Christ obeys his gospel, becomes a Christian, and then goes back into the world. A dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow, a pig, having washed to her wallowing in the mire. That is the state of somebody who becomes a Christian but then goes back into the world. By the way, the parable of the sower, what does it teach us? It teaches us that there are some who are the good soil, and they stick it out, but then there are, are others who uh, the seed falls by the wayside, and that's people who just outright reject the uh, you know the teachings of Christ from the beginning. But then there are others, such as the stony soil and the thorny soil. Those are the people who accept it at first, but they don't grow, or they get choked out by the cares of the world. The Bible says that those hearts in particular are worse off than somebody who has never even known the way of truth. We don't want to be in that boat on the Day of Judgment, everyday Christians. And so let's strive to be faithful. Let's strive to walk in the light as Christ is in the light. Let's strive to add to our faith, virtue and knowledge and all the different things that we read about in chapter 1. Let's grow as everyday Christians so that we will not find ourselves in the boat, if you will, of those who have looked back, who have turned back, uh, that we just read about in verses 20 through 22. Thank you for tuning in to the Everyday Christian Podcast this week. Lord willing, we've got two weeks left for this season. The uh, season has flown by, but we've got chapter 3, the first part, next week, and then we'll wrap up the rest of chapter 3 and the rest of the season 
the week after that on the Everyday Christian Podcast. What's up, guys? It's Caleb and Michael over here from the Scattered Abroad Network, and we just wanted to say thanks so much for listening to this episode. Yeah, we're so thankful to the East Hill Church of Christ for overseeing this network, and we're grateful to God for this opportunity. And don't forget, you can check out our show notes below for all of our social media links, email address, website, and we have a monthly newsletter, so don't forget to sign up for that. Please remember to leave us a rating or a review on whatever platform it is that you use, And please continue to keep our network in your prayers. As always, thank you again so much for listening. Be ready tomorrow. We have brand new content coming out here on the SAN. Thanks so much, and God bless.